Scripture for today, Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Please follow as I, I read for you. This is God's holy word. Then Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And then he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, Put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again, and when he took it out, his bosom, out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground." Thus far, God's holy, inspired, and infallible Word. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, again we ask that Your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide, that You would grant us understanding, and help us then to live by what we learn. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Today we uh, listen to more of this fascinating dialogue between Moses and the Lord on the lower reaches of Mount Horeb. In spite of the heat emanating from the burning bush, we might say that Moses was getting cold feet. Of course, uh, nothing to do with heat so much as with his uh, trepidation at having to take up the task that God was laying out before him. As we mentioned previously, Moses, the ordinary shepherd with only a rudimentary faith, was called to be an apostle under the Old Covenant. One sent by God, for that's what an apostle is, one who is sent by God. One sent by God, to deliver a message of salvation. And in order to carry out this charge, the Lord provided him the appropriate signs of an apostle. Now I take that phrase, the signs of an apostle, from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, where we read concerning the apostle Paul, truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you. Now of course, a New Testament verse has a bit of a different context. We're not trying to just draw verses out from here and there, but I think it is applicable to one who is sent also in the Old Testament that where needed, 
God was able to provide signs to verify the messenger as well as the message. Now I want us to look at uh, some of this trepidation on Moses' part as uh, he wonders if he's really the man for this job. Now when we said he was an ordinary shepherd and he had a rudimentary faith, uh, we're not discounting the fact that prior to his going to the land of Midian, that he was a mighty prince in Egypt, had wealth and pleasures and all sorts of things to entice him to continue the way he was. Nor are we saying that his parents, when they had charge of him for a few years after his birth, uh, did not teach him the things of God as, as they were able to do that. But uh, many years have passed and many reasons why Moses might have uh, not been so active in his uh, commitment to the Lord as could have been in earlier times, these things are now to be taken into consideration. And I want to begin this morning by talking about his uh, apostolic fears, if you will, or the fears of an apostle, uh, as well as we shall see the signs of an apostle. There were three what we might call natural fears that Moses would have felt. First of all, uh, he would have feared the Pharaoh's wrath. Now there was a different Pharaoh who had come to power since the one who had uh, run him off, run him out of Egypt. Nevertheless, uh, from Moses' point of view, Pharaoh was Pharaoh, whether it was one man or another man. I'm sure there were in the records and in the memories of people that uh, Moses had been a kind of traitor that he had uh, turned against the Egyptians and uh, that he had even gone so far as to slay an Egyptian taskmaster that he found abusing one of his uh, Israelite nation. And so uh, he would have feared this Pharaoh. That would have been one of his apostolic fears, fearing the king. As we go through this, I want you to see there are a lot of parallels between people like the Apostle Paul and even the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, Moses himself. And uh, the Apostle Paul, for example, uh, had to be aware of such uh, rulers as were part of the Roman government, uh, no less even than Caesar himself. So... uh, What was one of the apostolic fears? If God has has sent you to a certain place, you might have to face kings and rulers, governors and authorities. And even Jesus told that to His disciples. When you go out henceforth, you're going to be brought before many ruling authorities. Another of the fears would have been the Israelites fearing that uh, they would reject Him. You say, did He have any grounds for that? Well, yes, way back when he killed that Egyptian taskmaster, he thought he would receive the applause and praise of the Israelites. And basically they told him, uh, you've gotten us into trouble here. You better not put your nose, as it were, into our affairs. And in effect rejected him way back then. Now he's going back to them again. How will they receive him this time? So there was a possibility that he would be rejected. Now again, making that comparison to the Apostle Paul, somebody would like to come in, uh, when he made that uh, comparison, or when we make that that, uh, comparison, we find that uh, that Paul, when he would go to the synagogues in various cities, 
he was always concerned, will they accept me? Will they listen to the message, to the Word? Or will they tell me also that they don't want me anymore? And many times they did tell him that. That they didn't want to have anything to do with him or his message. So that was the second fear. First fear was Pharaoh. Second fear was the Israelites themselves. And then, thirdly, there was a certain mystique, if you will, of the, uh, of the Nile. Now, what do I mean by the mystique of the Nile? Well, there's this whole culture of Egypt. And remember in the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> we're told that uh, Moses uh, did not count the pleasures and the treasures of, of Egypt uh, to be of more value than those of Christ Himself. Of course, he didn't know Christ at the time, but uh, there was a certain mystique about that that uh, he had to get over. That Would that sort of draw him back in, you know? You can say, well, I'm not for this and I'm not for that, but then you get into another situation, you say, that's not so bad. I kind of like that. And so this whole mystique, would, would, would Egypt kind of reach out and, and grasp his heart and draw him back into its sway? So if, if you were Moses, you would have been afraid of, of these things. God, God has come and, and God has called you and well, you haven't had a very close relationship with God for a long time, if ever. And now you're being told, go to Pharaoh, who was uh, your uh, tracker, if you will, the one who wanted to kill you. And uh, you go back to the Israelites and they rejected you and, and you know how strong the pull of Egypt is. You would have been afraid of these things, right? So these are apostolic fears. And I just, again, point out that they are not limited to Moses or his time. The Apostle Paul found himself in these these very same things as uh, he went through his ministry. And, and I didn't mention anything about the mystique of the Greek world or the Roman world, but that's where he was brought up. And uh, these were the things that uh, the, that world that he was brought up in were uh, admirable, things people wanted to be a part of. And even the whole Sadducee party of, of the Israelites, they were very much in favor of Herod and the Romans and the power and... and Good things that that brought. So again, these were apostolic fears. Now I want to add to these fears uh, just some other things that are just natural human fears. And I'll, I'll have a little more to say about them as we go along, but uh, Moses feared serpents and he feared diseases. One of the things that God said to the Israelites when He brought them out of Egypt was, I, I will not put all those Egyptian diseases and problems upon you if you keep faithful to me. So there were diseases that Moses was aware of, and I'm sure there were diseases in Midian where he was living. And uh, there were serpents around. If, if you were wandering around the countryside there, I'm sure you encountered serpents from time to time, as well as uh, any other beasts or animals that, that might do you harm. So... Yes, uh, if God calls you and God says, I'm sending you, uh, well, you don't know what you're going to face in terms of diseases and, and serpents, but God says, I'll take care of you. And then there was uh, some still getting used to the idea that God would be with him. Now, we want to say that God never left him in the sense that He was with him from the day of his birth when his mother put him in the, uh, the little reed boat and put him into the Nile. God was with him there and all through his life and even into Midian where he had been for some time and through the desert, God was with him. But did he have that sense that he was walking with God? 
Did he have that, uh, that inner confidence that he was doing the will of God or was this kind of a vague part of his life? He, he wasn't against it and he had a father-in-law who was a priest in some fashion of the true God, but he didn't really have that closeness. And, and God says, I'm going to be with you, Moses. And I'm sure Moses thought to himself, I wonder what that means. Well, with God as a companion, and I think this is a point that God is making with him, with God as your real companion, miracles, as it were, mighty things that you can't even conceive of, these are always at hand. And even if we think that generally speaking, the age of miracles has ceased, that doesn't mean that God, when He wants to, can't reach down and do unexpected and mighty and wonderful things in our lives. With God as a companion, miracles were always at hand. And that, you see, is one of the ways you slay the fears that you have. God is with me. If God be for us, this is the Apostle Paul again, but if God be for us, then who can be against us? That was what Moses really had to come to grips with and to lean upon as, as he went forth. So that one of the fears, you see, would have been, well, God might not be with me, but God assures him, no, I will be with you. Again, speaking to us, though we're not apostles as such in the classic sense, have not we also been sent by God to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. And we need to have that same sense of relief and of strength against all these fears that rise up in us. And you know, Satan knows all our fears. And I was just listening to one radio commentator just the other day. And he was saying that with this artificial intelligence and stuff and the ways they can read your eyes and things that they know what you're thinking, what your fears are. They know what your fears are. And of course, uh, I don't know, have you read 1984, that book? Now, the date is is long gone, but there was a fellow there in in the book, his name was Winston, and he he feared rats. And somehow the government knew that he feared rats, and so they rigged up this thing where he'd have to stick his head into a cage with rats. Uh, We have these, these fears that beset us, and the devil knows all of them. He knows every fear that we have even those that we're not quite aware of yet. He knows them. But God says, keep trusting Me. I'll deliver you from the pharaohs and from the rejectors and from the mystique of this world and from serpents and diseases. I'll deliver you from your lack of confidence if you'll just, with the faith like a grain of mustard seed, if you'll just keep trusting Me. That's for us, not just for Moses and For the Apostle Paul, that's for us. Keep trusting Me, and I'll deliver you from all your fears. And there's a psalm that says that. He delivered Me from all My fears. Alright, so that's our first point. The the apostleship came with fears. There were apostolic fears. Then, there were these accusations that were made against uh, Moses. Actually, it hadn't been made yet, but Moses anticipated them anyway. The biggest problem that we all have 
is not slavery. That was, that was the Israelites' big problem. They were slaves in Egypt. That wasn't their biggest problem. It was unbelief. They were not yet really acquainted with the Lord. Now their forefathers had been, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and much of their families, and maybe for a generation or two, but uh, it had been a long time since people were really close to the Lord, and they didn't have a lot of belief. They were, in fact, we might say, disconnected from the faith of Jacob and Joseph. You know, that can happen to us too. We can be the children or the grandchildren of people who are believers of the Bible and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and had God in their lives, but somehow over the years we've become disconnected. And one of the jobs that Moses had, one, one part of his task, was to reconnect them with the Lord. Such faith as they did have, and it was pretty weak, we might say it was only intellectual, well, they knew there was a God, right? If you go out on the street today and you say, do you believe in God? A lot of people, maybe not as many as there used to be, but a lot of people say, oh yes, I believe in God. But they don't really understand God. They don't really know what Scripture teaches about God. And uh, then, of course, they had a kind of emotional faith, you know, when they're being whipped and tortured and so forth. They cry out, oh God, help me, God, help me. But they really don't know who they're asking. They don't really understand the purposes of, of, of God and why He lets them go through these things. So we might say that, that whatever little faith they had, it was sort of emotional and intellectual, but not really in a close relationship with God. But again, this was Moses' job, not only to lead them out of Egypt, but to reconnect them and to build them up in the faith of the Lord. Now, Moses correctly anticipated the following misconceptions among the Israelites. Some, some of them are saying, and this, Moses was anticipating this because it says it in the passage there, that uh, God never appeared to him. He must be lying or he's just deluded. I remember when I was a boy and visited my grandparents in South Carolina, there was a man that lived in town there that was called, the, they called him the Orange Rock because he believed God was an orange rock. And he would go around telling people that God was an orange rock. Uh, well, people said, hey, he's crazy. And of course he was crazy. He was, he was a lunatic. But that's the way the Israelites were going to anticipate Moses when he shows up and says, the God of Jacob, God of Abraham, God of Isaac has told me to do this. And they're saying, this, this is another orange rock here. And then, uh, of course, there were uh, those who were intimated that uh, Jehovah, uh, vague and kind of mystical at, at the very best, that He didn't actually love them. If there was this God, Jehovah, Yahweh, that uh, He didn't care anything about them. What, uh, why are we as slaves like this if there was a God that, that cared about us? And then uh, there was the thinking that even if, if Jehovah did care about them, that He wasn't as strong as the gods of Egypt. Because there were a whole bunch of those gods of Egypt and there was just this one God that the Israelites were supposed to have. And how could He possibly match all these other gods? And you see later when these plagues come, I don't want to get too far into this now, but 
when these plagues come upon them, the idea is that uh, each, each of those effects, one of the gods of the Egyptians, whether it covered the whole pantheon or, or just a, a number, the fact is that God was showing, I'm greater than this one, I'm greater than this one, I'm greater than this one. But Moses had to anticipate that the Israelites would say, even, even if you do come from this God, and even if you did see Him, and even if He did promise to be with you, He can't defeat all these other gods. Now, think of yourself as Moses again. And uh, God says, you go Moses and do this. And Moses, Moses has to say, they're not going to listen to me. They're going to say that you never appeared. They're going to say that uh, you're just deluded yourself and, and if we try to follow you, we'll be in big trouble. And that's just unbelief, you see. We're not believing what Moses said. How in the world could they ever be made to believe? And the answer is they couldn't be by anything Moses did. But God, by sending His Spirit into people's hearts and lives, can change that unbelief into belief. And the fact is, even for you and me, if God doesn't change our hearts and make us believe what the Bible says, what Moses says, what all the prophets say, what the apostles of the New Testament say, what Jesus said, if He doesn't do that, then we'll still just say, oh, that's a bunch of hooey. I'm not going to believe it. Oh, God help us when we have to deal with unbelief, but God help us by changing our unbelief into real faith, true faith. And then there, there are a, a bunch of... Um, str- uh, let me say a string of things here we'll call what-ifs. I better look at my watch here. Uh, the uh, the what-ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? And I've just listed them here and I've added a few that you can kind of put in from between the lines. But they're saying, well, what if the Israelites refuse to believe God says, I can take care of that, and we've just talked about that. What if they cannot conceive of a God who deals personally with men and women? I lived in the Middle East for quite a few years, and over there, they don't think God can get close to you at all. He's too far away. He's too distant. God says, no, God cares about you. I've been with God, and you can be with God. We can all be with God. Now, later on, when God comes close, they say, we wish you'd go away again. It's too terrifying. But they, they couldn't conceive that. Another what if, what if they're skeptical that the signs of Moses are, are genuine signs? Because uh, going over to the plagues now for just a moment, uh, when, when Moses did the first few plagues, the, the, the magicians of Egypt, they'll say, we can do that. And what, what if the people say, well, he's just another magician like the rest of them? And what if they, they fear they'll be harmed? by either Jehovah or the pagan gods that they thought were real? Or what if the Egyptians uh, do us more harm than they've already done to us? Or what if there are never enough signs and wonders to satisfy them? Now that's a good one to compare with the New Testament. They're always asking Jesus, show us a sign. So He shows them a sign and they will show us another sign. Okay, here's another sign. Well, show us another sign. And they're never satisfied. They always want another sign. And then, what if they start to rebel against the Egyptians, but they can't finish? 
There have been a lot of uh, revolutions in the world that never got finished because the rebels were put down. The rebels were wiped out. If I were an Israelite, I think I would have said, yeah, what if I start this and then it doesn't work? As we say, everything that we've just stated was true of Jesus and the Israelites 1,500 years later. When He came, they just said, we don't believe. We don't conceive of a God who would send His Son into the world to die. We're skeptical that the the signs He performs are real. What if we're harmed by this God? What if He's not merciful and kind? Can we have just one more sign? What if they start and then can't finish? These are all things that Moses had to deal with. God says, I'm sending you. And Moses says, yeah, but what if? What if? Well, I think God's answer is, so what? What if? So what? There's nothing that can happen. Nothing that anyone can do to defeat me and my purpose. That's the whole thing. Even if there's a long string of what if, what if, what if, what if, God says, so what? It can't be the deciding factor or they can't be the deciding factors. If there are what ifs, you need to say, so what? As I say, so what? Well, I want to close with this one. Three miraculous signs fit for an apostle. And they're the three that, uh, that we saw here. The, the throwing down the rod and uh, the hand in the bosom and finally the, the blood that's poured out on the ground. And these are the signs of this apostle for this apostle to use. Purpose of signs is always to authenticate the word that's spoken and the messenger himself. That's why God gives miracles and signs. You say, isn't God compassionate? Doesn't want to heal the sick? That figures into it. But the main thing is that God wants to authenticate His Word is over against the other words that are spoken, and the person who's speaking is over against all the people who claim to be the messengers of God. Again, 2 Corinthians 12.12, I'm extending it out just a little bit here. It says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. What were the signs of, of the apostles in the New Testament? Signs and wonders and miracles. But don't confuse these signs that Moses had with the plagues. There's only one that's similar, and that's the blood that was poured out. But remember that uh, in the case of the plagues, and we'll see this later on, the whole river became blood. In this case, Moses was just supposed to dip up a little of the water and pour it on the ground, and it would become blood. Now, was it real blood, or was it uh, red like blood and gave that impression? doesn't matter. Uh, The point is that it was a sign. The water was turned into something else. Don't confuse these signs with the plagues that were to follow. But first of all, there was the rod and the snake. Okay, What do they represent? Well, of course, initially that you can just do it. It seems amazing. But remember, the, the magicians of Pharaoh did the same thing too. We'll get to that. We haven't come to that in the narrative yet. But... I do think the the snake represents, first of all, mortal danger. Uh, 
You know, the pharaohs had a cobra. There's a name for that. I don't, I've forgotten what it is, but on their headdress they had this cobra. So it wasn't just a, a kindly old black snake. I don't like any snakes. I'm like Indiana Jones. I hate snakes. But uh, this, this was a poisonous snake or a constricting snake. Something that, that suggested mortal danger. So this would have been a concern to those who saw the sign. And then Pharaoh, Pharaoh would have seen that snake as related to him because of that headdress that we talked about. But going all the way back to Adam and Eve, there was a devil. The devil is what the serpent in the garden. And uh, I think the Lord would have all of us, Egyptians, Israelites, Moses, us, all to consider these things. That whether there's mortal danger or the Pharaoh or the devil, uh, God is still in control. Okay? Secondly, there was the matter of leprosy and healing. Now, leprosy represents suffering. It represents uh, likely premature death. And it uh, represents, of course, sin in the Scriptures. Leprosy is always indicative, not that the person that has it is necessarily being punished for sin, but it's how this, this sin destroys your life. Gradually, sometimes more quickly, but it destroys it. And God is saying by, by this, Bob was pointing out to me that in, later on when the plagues are recorded, Moses never sticks his hand in, into his breast for that purpose. But for us and for those who are reading it, it has to do with the victory over suffering, over death, and over sin. And then finally, the, the river and the blood stress that life, and that's what the blood is in Scripture always, the life is in the blood. Jewish people were not to eat meat that had the blood still in it. It stressed life and hope. But where do they come from? They come from God and not from Egypt. There's a saying in, in Egypt even to this day, Egypt is the gift of the Nile. Okay? But no, life itself, hope is in God, not in the Nile, not in Egypt. And that was another thing that God was saying. So these are signs that are all fit for an apostle. He's, he's to say that God is in control of everything. God can keep you from death. God can deliver you from suffering and the power of sin. Your life, your hope comes from Him and from nowhere else. The signs of an apostle should mean more to us now than they did even to the ancients because with all that's gone on in the world and all of history, it still comes down to these very same things. That God is greater than all. That the God who sends us will supply us and equip us and protect us and use us. That's what He's called us to do. May we take comfort and hope from that today. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we pray today that uh, we might get over our fears and get over our concerns and see that You're with us and will never leave us or forsake us and that You will use us until Your work is done and not even the devil, not even the world itself can keep Your will from being done in our lives as long as we're trusting in You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.